Hey, welcome to the Project Church podcast. My name is Caleb Cole. I'm the lead pastor here at Project Church in downtown Sacramento. And we're so glad that you came to hear this word. We believe this is going to encourage you, build you up, and give you life. So get ready to receive a message from God. Hey, so good to see you all. I want to welcome you. If this is your first time. My name is Caleb, one of the pastors here. And I'm continuing our series today called The Parable Project. We've been looking at seven of the parables of Jesus, many of the lesser known parables, and pulling out the riches of Jesus' stories. But before I jump in there, I just wanna let you know about what's coming up next week. So next Sunday is something we do every year, which is our Miracle Sunday. So what we do is we bring um, a seed, uh, an offering, a gift, above and beyond our normal ties to end the year uh, with generosity. We always say like, watch what God can do through us. And so we have several projects we're going to be giving to, to feed children around the world, um, rescuing girls from trafficking, as well as some projects here in Sacramento and inside our own Project Church home. And so I want you to be praying this week. Next week, I'll be rolling out vision and kind of where this money is going to be going. But this is a a huge moment for us. Uh, We've been in an amazing growth season. In fact, last Sunday was the biggest attendance uh, in the history of Project Church outside of an Easter Sunday. And so I just want to thank you guys for inviting and attending and, um, and also giving. And so I, I'm just excited to see what God does next week, but be praying this week. Me and Chrissy are praying, uh, what is God asking me to give above and beyond? So next week, we're going to make commitments to give by the end of the year. So you'll be hearing more about it as we close out this series and also um, bring our end of the year Miracle Sunday offering. So Let's jump in here, you guys with me today. You awake? 10 o'clock service. Uh, So good to see you. There was a question posed in the 1960s. They did a massive uh, countrywide survey, and they asked this question. A, A Christian group did this in the 1960s. They said, if you were to stand before God today and he asked you why he should let you into heaven how would you respond? And I want you to think about that question for yourself today. Like if today in 2023, let's say uh, later tonight, you stood before God and he asked you why he should let you into heaven, what would you say? What would be your response? And it was interesting, the responses they got, because as they did this survey, what they realized And what the statistics showed was that 90% of the people answered the question with a works-based righteousness. What do I mean by that? 90% of the answers sounded something like this. I've been a good person. I've done a lot of good things. I go to church. I give to the church. I've never killed anybody. I'm nice to people. It was answers like this that they got. 90% of the responses were a works-based righteousness that I have been good, thus God, you should let me into heaven. Now, this is interesting that I would start with this and that this was how it was, how it was answered, these questions. I wonder what it would be if I pulled even our church. What would be the response? Would it be a works-based righteousness for you? Is that how you would convince God? And I think this question 
um, relates heavily to this story, this parable that Jesus tells. So let's go Luke chapter number 18. I'm going to be reading starting in verse number nine. This is the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. I want to let that soak in for a moment. He's telling this story to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and thus treated others with contempt. So here we go. Here's the story, the parable. Two men went into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. A sobering teaching from Jesus and one that I believe we should not take lightly. I don't think you should take this parable lightly today. This is a parable about our eternal destiny. And would you all agree that our eternal destiny is, is of quite a bit of importance? That our eternal destiny matters. I know I feel the weight of it every day. But the question, I think, is really, who is this parable for? And this parable is actually for a specific group of people. Jesus said it at the beginning. He said, this parable is for people who trust and put their confidence in their own righteousness. And I think this should be sobering for us. Because in the church... I do think if I had polled you in this room that many of you may have spouted out to this question a works-based righteousness. That because you've been good enough or holy enough or pure enough or given enough or attended church enough or kind enough or loving enough that you deserve to enter into heaven. But scripturally, we know this is not true. That's just bad theology. And so today, I want to help us with our theology. Is that all right? Is it all right if I help us with our theology today? Here's what the Bible tells us about our righteousness. In Isaiah 64, 6, it says, And all our righteous acts are like filthy rags before God. Did you hear that? Your good works, your righteous acts before God are like filthy rags. 
Now, I want to give us some context contextually to help us to understand this parable because you may not uh, understand just the dichotomy of a Pharisee and a tax collector in this day, in the first century, for the first century Jews. Now, some of you are like, yeah, I know that, Caleb, but, but some of us may not, so let me just catch us up to speed. First of all, here's some facts about the Pharisees. Number one, they were the religious leaders and they were separated from the rest of the people. They were committed to obeying the law scrupulously. I mean, they were fully committed in their devotion to the law, the Old Testament law. They were considered extremely zealous. In fact, it was required of the Pharisees that they would fast twice a year. But what does this man say, this Pharisee? Did you hear what I read? He says, I fast twice a week. They were only commanded to fast twice a year, but he fasted twice a week, this man. They were regarded uh, in high esteem in the community. They were the spiritual leaders in the whole nation of Israel. And yet they were hostile to Jesus and conspired to kill Jesus. Now let's talk about the tax collectors the tax collectors were the Jewish hirelings of the Roman occupation. If you know anything about the history of this day, uh, Rome is occupying Israel. They are ruling over them. Uh, they are the governmental authority and, and have taken uh, control of all of this Middle East area. And so the Jews hated them. They wanted their freedom. And what happened was they hired Jews, their own people, to enforce or impose oppressive taxation upon them. So they were considered to be the lowest of the low. They had betrayed their own people. They grew wealthy through the commissions that they made by serving Rome, and they were despised by their fellow Jews. Not only did they get commissions, but they would often ask for more above and beyond and they would put it in their own pocket and the Jews knew this. And if they didn't pay, they would have them arrested by the ruling Roman authority. And so they were hated by the Jews, despised by the Jews. And these are the two contrasting people that Jesus tells a story about. Now, how many know that nothing exposes the counterfeit more quickly than the authentic? And I can tell you this because I got some fake Jordans and then I got some real Jordans. And the fake J's next to the real J's, it is clear which ones are real. The fake ones, the threads come out earlier, they fray quicker. Uh, there's a few little things that are off about them. You put them next to the real J's and it's clear. Why? Because the authentic exposes the counterfeit. And the reason the Pharisees hated Jesus was because they pretended to be righteous, but Jesus really was. And so the authentic next to the counterfeit exposed them. And so they hated Jesus and they sought to kill Jesus. And today I think there may be some of us that have had a counterfeit faith. It's a superficial faith. It looks good externally, but in reality... It's not real. So I'm gonna illustrate this today. Is that all right for you? I got my vintage Jesus Christ shirt on today for you. Uh, but, but I was thinking about 
You know, what does it mean? And, and the title of my message today is, what are you wearing? If you're taking notes, what are you wearing? What are you clothed in? What are you, what are you clothed in today? Uh, for me, I'm clothed in, uh, you know, the uh, thrift store purchase. I don't know what some of you in Gucci today, praise the Lord. But I was thinking about what being clothed in righteousness really looks like. And for me, it looks like this. You feel me, church? Come on. Praise the Lord for a beam that's lit. Praise the Lord for a church that's led by a pastor that serves the King of Kings, but also cheers for the Kings. Come on. God is good. This is what being clothed in righteousness looks like. No, I'm playing. That was just for fun. I just, that didn't count. Okay, let's get real today. But here's what I think. I do think that often we think our righteousness is based on appearances. So I got to look the part. So let me get suited and booted. I'm not against it. In fact, next week, you know, it's vision or not vision Sunday, but it's a, it's miracle Sunday. I might come in a suit just cause I feel like it. Your pastor does wear suits sometimes still. Uh, but then also dresses in thrift store clothes. But, but sometimes I think we, we think our righteousness is based on outward appearance. And so how many of us grew up in church where, I mean, if you didn't look the part, then you didn't really love Jesus. If you didn't dress the right way, look the right way, remove the piercings and cover up the tattoos, then you weren't really righteous. And so it's all about appearance, isn't it? It's about how we look on the outside. This was the Pharisees. This Pharisee, it says that the Pharisee and the tax collector go into the temple. And where does the Pharisee go? He goes to the front of the room. And he stands in the front praying a prayer saying, God, thank you that I'm not like other men. I don't take advantage. I'm not an extortioner. I'm not an adulterer. In fact, I'm not even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week even. And he prays this external righteous prayer. Why? Because he looks the part, doesn't he? He looks the part. Externally, we look and say, wow, that man loves God. He serves God. But it was all for show. It was all about how he was perceived. In fact, the danger that I even read there was that he got to the front. He went as close as possible in the temple to the Holy of Holies, which I don't have a lot of time to get into it, but we know that the Holy of Holies, no one could go in there except once a year, a priest who had purified himself. uh, uh, He had been sanctified and gone through the purification process ritually, and he would go in there to tend to the Holy of Holies. And here's the this righteous Pharisee getting as close to the front as he can in the temple, praying this loud, boisterous prayer about how righteous he is. And where is the tax collector? It says the tax collector is afar off. He's in the back. I see you. Some of you maybe always sit in the back because you don't feel like you're worthy enough. Some of you were just late, praise the Lord. But this is what I'm talking about. It's an external righteousness. It's a, about how I look to man. But how many you know man looks at the outward appearance? But what does God look at? God looks at our hearts. But you know what else a lot of us do? We think that if I'm going to be saved, if I'm going to get to heaven, I got to get to work. 
This is the closest thing I have to work clothes, church. <laughs> My wife will tell you, he is not a handy man. <laughs> I'm like, oh, that, that's a jean jacket with, with fur. I'll wear that. The closest thing I have to work clothes right here. And uh, I found this downstairs in our storage room. So a lot of us, we come to the Lord. We're like, I got to get to work. If I'm going to get to heaven, I got to do something. I got to work. I got to do good works. I got to earn my way. Like if I don't work hard enough, if I'm not good enough, pure enough, righteous enough, God will not accept me. And yet as we hear this story, the righteous man, the Pharisee that worked his whole life to be holy and pure and, and, and follow the law to a T, Jesus says, it's not him that's justified. It's the man that had probably done the wrong thing most his life, but stands far off in the back and beats his breasts and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You see, I started with that poll and that question because I think too many of us, even in the church, we believe we are justified by our works. That if we can just do enough good things, give enough money away, serve enough poor people, love enough homeless people, that then God will accept us into eternity. But that is not the gospel. That is not the gospel. It is not a gospel of works. It is a gospel of grace. So I want to ask you, what are you wearing? What are you clothed in? So I think many of us today, we're clothed in self-trust. You trust in yourself. You saw that at the beginning, right? That's who Jesus is speaking to. He tells this story to the people that trust in themselves. And I wonder how many of us even here today have built a faith in trusting in ourselves. And so Jesus contrasts the most revered in Jewish culture with the most despised. You know, I think it's funny, uh, the older I get, the better I was at everything. Y'all feel me? Like when it comes to my athletic prowess, when it comes to the man I was, my son the other day asked me, he said, Dad, when you were in high school, did you have Riz? And I didn't know what that meant. I had to look it up, I Googled it. And I guess it means when like you got pulled with the ladies, right? And I was like, well, I got your mom, didn't I? Like, of course. I was the man. But how many, the older we get, the better we were. Like the, the older I get, the more points I scored in that game I tell my wife about. And I think about that as it relates to even my righteousness, my self-trust, and how often I look back on my failures and I don't even remember the failures. I actually begin to like, just like God, he, he forgets our sin, praise him. I've even started to forget some of it. And what happens is when I forget all the times I've failed and fallen short, I'm not as thankful and grateful for the fact that he still receives me as I am that he still has mercy and grace on me just as I am. And I start thinking, wow, I got this church thing, this God thing, this righteous thing figured out. And I begin to trust in my own strength. 
And that's what this Pharisee has done. He is the example of many of us that are clothed in self-trust. Some of us are also clothed in outward spiritual practices. We got the suit, we're suited and booted. We raise our hands really high. We shout amen. We tithe to the scent. We pray daily. We read our Bible daily. We fast daily. And this is what this man says. He says, I fasted. Not just twice a year like most Pharisees. I fasted twice a week. Thank you, God, that I am a righteous man, not like these other men. I want to give you some, some historical theology going back to the fourth century. So in the fourth century, there was a debate between Pelagius and Augustine. And Augustine actually prayed a prayer. This is in the fourth century. So, so we're like 400 years into, the, into church, into Christendom, after Jesus had died. And Augustine prayed this prayer and he made this declaration. He, he prayed the prayer, he prayed, God, give me the grace to obey the word that you've told me and the commands you've told me to obey. And Pelagius didn't like this because he said, you don't need God to obey what the word tells you. You just need to obey it. And so they began to debate. And basically Pelagius said that you are justified by your works. And Augustine said, no, you are only justified by God's grace. And they had this great debate. And then the early church in the fourth century, they, they uh, condemned Pelagius' teaching as blasphemy. They said, no, this is not, we don't have a works-based righteousness. Well, then fast forward just a few years, and all of a sudden this new group came on the scene and they were semi-Pelagians, where they said, well, it's actually a combination it's faith and works. And together, that's how you're justified. By, by the grace of God. Uh, sorry, not faith and works. It's the grace of God and our works as human beings. And when you have both of those, then you're justified. And the Augustinians, again, said, no, it is grace alone that justifies us, that saves us. And the church once again had to condemn this teaching. And yet if I pulled the church, I'm guessing the majority of the American Christians would, would say, I'm a semi-Pelagian without, without knowing those terms. They say it's works and grace. And we need both or we're not saved. But hear me, this is a righteousness that's about outward spiritual practices. And the only way an unjust person can stand before a just God and be invited into eternity is when we are justified by faith through Christ. We can only be justified by being clothed in the righteousness of God. Some of us are actually clothed in contempt for the less righteous. That's what Jesus starts his story with. He says, there are those who are trusting in themselves and in their righteousness, and as a result, have contempt for the less righteous. You see, this is the result of self-justification, of self-righteousness. 
The result of self-righteousness is that you actually become more judgmental and contemptuous towards those who you perceive and deem as less righteous. And the word that's used here is the word contempt, which uh, by definition is the feeling that a person or thing is beneath consideration. They're worthless or deserving of scorn. And so what happens is when we trust in ourselves, when we trust in our righteousness, we begin to have contempt for those who we deem as less righteous. That is the danger of it. And I'm here to say, I've fallen victim of this mentality. And yet, who does God say is justified? Who does Jesus say is justified in this story he tells? Is it the person that does all the righteous acts? Is it the person that fasts and doesn't commit adultery and, 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 and prays and stands in front of the temple and says, look at how righteous I am. They're not extortioners. They haven't taken advantage of others like these tax collectors. And yet, which one is justified? It's the one who'd done all the wrong things, lived a life of sin, and yet stands before God, won't even lift his eyes up and says, have mercy on me, a sinner. The only thing that justifies us is when we acknowledge our sin, our failures, and that the only thing that can justify us is Jesus Christ. Him alone. You see, many of us are clothed also in self-justification. And if the keys would come back, who was clothed in true righteousness? Who was justified? It was the man that was beating his breast, crying out to God, I'm a sinner. Now, some of you are going, but Caleb, hold up. Hold up, I'm not even sure I'm on, I'm, I'm on board with you yet. Because it almost sounds like I'm telling you not to do good works, not to obey the law, not to obey the scriptures. I'm not saying that at all, actually. What does James tells us? James tells us in chapter two, and if you read it verse 15 through 17, there's a description, but at the end of it, in verse 17, it says, faith without works is dead. So sometimes in, in theology, in the Bible, there's things that we really got to unpack in a deeper way. Because you might hear that and say, wait, I don't understand. You just told me like, I can't be clothed in self-trust or outward spiritual practices or, uh, or, or anything that would, that, that would justify me based on what I do. And yet also James says, faith without works is dead. What do you mean? Here's what I mean. You are justified through Christ, faith in Christ and Christ alone. Because all your works are as filthy rags before God. All your works, the good things you do, the righteous things you try to do, the holiness you try to live out, it's all filthy rags before God. But faith without works is dead. That's right. Because what happens 
is when we understand the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ, that he paid the price and died the death that I should have died and took my failure and my sin onto himself. If I know this, and if I've received this, what flows out of me are good works. If I have accepted him as the one that justifies me, as the one that has given me mercy and made me righteous before God, then it's him, that it's him and him alone. What comes out of me in thankfulness is good works. What comes out of me in gratefulness is every act of righteousness that I can do, not in my strength, but with his strength. How could I not do good works? Look what he's done for me. How could I not serve? Look the mercy he's poured out of me. How could I not love when he showered all his love upon me? And what's crazy is that those righteous acts that are deemed as filthy rags before God, when we do them out of thankfulness and love and gratefulness for the mercy that God's already given us, he actually takes them and he clothes us in something pure. I'm not doing good things so people look at me and go, look at how righteous he is. So I can stand in the front near the Holy of Holies and say, thank you, God, I'm not like these other men. I'm doing them because I understand just how worthless and broken and empty and helpless I would be if Jesus hadn't paid the price for me. And now every work I do is seen as something different. It's seen as, it's seen as holy because I'm doing it from a place of thankfulness. And so may we follow the word of God even more today than yesterday, even more next year than last year. May we be more righteous, more holy, love more, serve more, give more, sacrifice more, fast more, but not so we can earn our way to God, but so we can say, thank you, God, that you already paid the price for me. I do these things because I love him so much. I just want to be closer to him. I do these things because I love him so much. I just want to be more like him. The Bible tells us the only one who ever possessed perfect righteousness is Jesus. Not Muhammad, not Confucius, not Buddha, only Jesus. And I asked you a question at the start of this day. The question that was posed to Americans in 1960. If you stood before God today and he said, why should I let you into heaven? What would be your answer? May your answer and my answer be Jesus. May I stand before God and say, I don't deserve it. I don't deserve to enter into heaven. I haven't done enough. I couldn't have ever done enough good because I have bad in me and evil and sin in me. But Jesus took my place. Jesus paid the price. Jesus, on Christ the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. And I believe if you stand before God, you say, why you should let me into heaven? Jesus. 
well, what'd you do, Jesus? Now I did some things because I loved him, but it didn't matter because Jesus took my place. And I believe if that's your answer and if that's your heart, you will stand before God and he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into eternal promise. In fact, Jesus has been here preparing a place for you the whole time, praying for you, interceding for you at the right hand of me, your father. And now come into eternal rest. That is the promise. This should encourage some of you professional sinners in this room. Y'all are jacked up, messed up, been running from God, turned your back, failed time and time again, and yet all it takes is today you beat your breast and say, have mercy on me, a sinner. I don't deserve it. I couldn't earn it. But thank you, Jesus, that you accept me as I am. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Today, I believe God wants to make some people new in this place. You've been trying to earn your way into heaven for years. It's not about that. Today, he wants to make you new. All it means and all it takes is you to confess your sin and surrender your heart. And you'll be saved today and made new. And watch what comes out of that. When everything's in line, Good works start to happen because you got things prioritized properly. I'm not earning it. I'm doing it out of thankfulness. I don't have to prove it. I'm doing it out of the abundance of what God did for me. So with heads bowed and eyes closed in this room, there's somebody here that would say, Caleb, I've been running from God. I've turned my back on God. I've not accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Maybe you've been living a works-based righteousness, but today you understand that it is the mercy of God that leads you and the kindness of God that leads you to repentance. And today you need to repent of your sin and acknowledge your failure. You can never be good enough, but he was. And he took your place. If you're here today and you need Jesus for the first time, you need to rededicate yourself. I want you to lift your hand. Go, put it up if that's you. Yes, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13. I see hands, 14. Come on, church, give God some praise. You can put your hands down. I want everyone to pray this with me. Say this with me. Say, Jesus, today I admit, I confess my sin and my need for a savior. Forgive me, change me, make me new. I can't do this without you, but I give my life, every part of me, to serve you, to follow you, and thank you for your mercy. I didn't earn it, I don't deserve it, but still, you give your love to me. I love you, Jesus. I pray this in your name. Amen, amen. Come on, stand to your feet with me, church. We can give God some praise. Last thing I wanna do, I think there's many of us in this place that have got caught up in the self-righteousness of the church. And I'm with you at times. But today, I just believe that God wanted to shift our perspective and shift our mindset, get our theology back where it should be, that I am a sinner, every one of us. And every good work I do is out of the abundance of the thankfulness and grace that I already received. So today, let's move our hearts from a place of trusting in ourselves to fully relying and trusting in the Savior. He's the only one that can justify you. He's the only one that can forgive you. He's the only one that can make you right to 
invite you in and say, my son, my daughter, we got to shift our mindsets, church. So come on, let's worship today. Would you lift your voices? I'm going to invite the prayer team forward. If you need prayer, God said something, spoke something to you in this room. I want you to come for prayer right now. Come on, let's sing. Let's lift our voices to the Lord. Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Project Church podcast. We pray and hope that this message encouraged you, built you up, and gave you life. We want to ask that you would invest right now in what God is doing here in downtown Sacramento. We've just recently moved in to our all-new building in the waterfront, Old Sacramento District. We want to ask you, if you'd like to give, you can go to projectchurch.com forward slash give to invest. Let's see all that God can do through us.